0: two geeks and a marketing podcast episode 35 the one about marketing rules you can't break immersive music and videos and the woman in black let's get on with the show and welcome to another recording
1: of Two Gigs and a Marketing Podcast. We are back for more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. As always, joining me is my co-host, man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Marketing and Finance Podcast, and the host of the Rockdoll video series, I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And of course, you are my co-host, and you are also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. You're the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much,
1: Roger. And thank you to you, viewers and listeners, for your amazing support. The numbers are going up on the downloads and the views on YouTube. We really appreciate it. And we also appreciate all the thank yous and well done messages that we get through the interweb. Roger, I took a look at the show notes. It's another packed session today. So let's begin with In the News. <music>
0: Internet users in the UK have spent an extra day online per month so far in 2021 with a daily average of 6 hours and 26 minutes, according to research by We Are Social and Hootsuite. Well, Google My Business is finally rolling out a new feature, allowing local businesses
1: to see recent reviews on their Google Maps listing, but also to check the status of fake reviews
0: they reported to Google. Clubhouse recently launched new Creator First Accelerator program which will provide financial support and expertise to 20 creators to help them build their audience and ultimately to monetize their Clubhouse efforts. According to SocialMediaToday.com, Facebook is working
1: on new audio-only options for rooms which would enable you to create public or
0: private audio group chats, but there's still no live dates though. That's a Facebook Clubhouse then. Google recently announced that they are testing a new feature on YouTube that could create an automated list of products based on items detected within the video content published on the platform. A new £50 banknote featuring mathematician and
1: computer science pioneer Alan Turing will officially circulate on the 23rd of June,
0: the date of Turing's birthday. An appreciation of internal communications and a thirst for innovation are important characteristics marketers must possess in the post-pandemic world, according to MarketingWeek.com. And finally, one for you,
1: Roger. The new update for Microsoft Flight Simulator introducing the UK and Ireland was released recently, but far more popular though was the addition of the trapped cargo ship the ever given
0: on the Swiss Canal. Do you know, Pascal, it's so interesting that this piece of news appears here because I was talking to my son just the other day about Microsoft Flight Simulator. Now, me and my son have been fans of this program all through its many iterations going back many, many years. But, of course, this new version uses actual satellite photography to generate the scenery, and it genuinely is pretty much like flying over. The actual world. Now they didn't get it totally right. The first version, some of the uh, scenery was a little bit wonky for Edinburgh, for example. Edinburgh Castle looked like an office block, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, they fixed it in this in this uh, release that you've been talking about here in the news. But do you know what I have a problem with? Microsoft Flight Simulator. I think they've gone far too far in the extreme of making things realistic. It, ta- it originally took me about 24 hours to download the original version of the program. Even this update took about five hours to download. When you hit the, the uh, play button or the start button on Microsoft Flight Simulator, it takes about 14 minutes from clicking the icon to getting to the menu screen. And I've got a fairly high-end PC, and it is just so so slow and the problem is it's so realistic that mainly i'll set an airplane on the runway i'll go down the runway i'll lift off and after about five seconds i've crashed and blown up and i find it almost impossible to play <laughs> uh, and and i and i think that maybe what they've ta- done is they've taken it too far in the realistic direction so unless you are a genuine honest to down-to-earth proper pilot you won't be able to use it They should have cut almost like had a a version for people like me who just want to take off and fly over the home type thing so yeah and the suez canal thing well that that's that's the current meme isn't it <laughs> putting the ever given in all these different scenarios absolutely yeah i mean almost like
1: all video again There should be like a forgive me like a beginner's version you know where you just yeah. want to try it out and then you've got you know the the kind of veteran version where every, everything is almost impossible to, to pull together but when exactly. i saw when i saw this news item i couldn't help but smile I said, "Well, i must add this just uh, just <laughs> (laughs) for you, Roger. Can I ask your reaction as a vlogger about this idea of YouTube? literally be able to automatically match what they can see on your video clips roger to a product so for example recently you re-released some of your vlogging in and around eastern europe how would i know you've not obviously activated the advertising feature but let's say for argument say that youtube were to take over and override that how would you feel as a content creator that your video suddenly has adverts for i don't know local um you know venues maybe
0: theaters or beer or food or or anything like this it's an interesting one, Pascal, because as you say, I'm not monetized on YouTube yet. I'm creeping ever closer to the magic thousand subscribers. So anybody listening to the podcast fancies giving me a nudge towards that target, then please feel free to go onto YouTube and look for Roger Edwards TV and, and give me a subscribe. The problem is, I sort of said to myself, even if I get to the stage where I'm monetized, I'm not sure how far I want to take it because I do find adverts as you know incredibly annoying and the YouTube adverts seem to be more and more intrusive all the time now. Now I used to be able to tolerate the 5 second ones at the start of a video that you can skip whereas now there's sometimes two of them and and I think sometimes the the adverts that appear in the middle of the videos you know seem to come along every 10 every 10 seconds or so. Um, And there's one particularly annoying one for a a brand, and I'm sorry if this is not your brand's fault, probably. It's called Get Fresh or Go Fresh. They deliver food to your house. And it seems to me that you watch a video on YouTube and an advert for them just comes up like every minute or so. And I'm thinking, okay, just show me a different advert. Just don't show me the same one, for goodness sake. So... If I get monetized, whilst I think this is a great idea and, and obviously it'll make advertising relevant for the content that you're showing, I, I just hope it doesn't go too far and, and annoys people to the extent that they start hitting that unsubscribe button. Yeah, you want to avoid that. I mean, you know, talk about
1: vlogging, we talk about educational videos, all sort of content on YouTube. And just because, of course, Google's uh, AI is now so clever that you can just see, you know, a fraction of a second of an object or a car or, or, or like I said, a, a, a building of sort and then can match it to an advert. I think you've got to be careful. I mean, I, I take your point. I, I watch a um, French news channel on YouTube. So usually they go live on national TV. Then do this later. It's a copy. If you will of the video uh, the news item on youtube the number of adverts i've got to go through just for to understand you know a debate or conversation has become quite frustrating and i know that they want us to push to go for the youtube premium but um yeah uh, i'm not there yet i was pleased to see the news about google maps Yes. Uh, and people are allowed to say, this is a fake review, please look into it, but also track the status or their query. Because in the past, many of my customers reported to me that there was a fake review. That usually is negative. And they reported it, but they had no idea whether it had been successful. And they had no concept of well, how, long, how much longer do I have
0: to wait. So I think this is a, a move in the right direction. Yeah, it's interesting, Pascal, because um, as you as you know, I take an interest in reviews on Amazon at the moment because of my book. Uh, And I've been fortunate that I've had some nice reviews for my book on Amazon. But I came across a news report the other day where a particular individual, and I'm not going to name this individual because I don't want to give him or her any unnecessary publicity, has literally been putting one star reviews on pretty much any book he can find. And you use pretty much every review is the same. It just says this is a this is a rubbish book or this is a rubbish film or whatever. And he gives them one star. It's the same person, and all of these people who've been hit by this one star review have complained to Amazon, and of course nothing's been done about it. So same as this, you know, if a platform like Google and Amazon is going to give people the ability to do reviews, there has to be some way of checking that they're legitimate. And it's not just somebody spamming, you know, their platforms in order to devalue somebody's content.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't, on the one hand, have a big marketing push asking people to get busy with their local SEO and local marketing using Google Maps. And then the other not have you know systems to support them when they are victim really of malpractice.
0: And of course, the other thing that made me laugh today, I, I was reading a, a, um, an article <laughs> about people reviewing restaurants. So this is slightly related. And there's one restaurateur in Leeds who's just fed up with all the people leaving silly reviews on their on on TripAdvisor, and has actually started putting replies up and tweeting replies. For example, it's a Chinese restaurant, and apparently somebody wrote a review complaining that the salt and chili chicken was too salty, and When you think about it, that's pretty dumb, isn't it? And so the owner of the restaurant said, come on, if you order salt and chilli chicken, you should sort of expect it to be salty. Don't give me a bad review for something that you actually ordered.
1: I know, and it kind of makes you wonder, who are those people living leaving reviews like this? And I know that yes. some of them are, are downright criminal activities. We, we are aware of that. We pretty much have said what we had to say about Clubhouse, uh, Roger, yes. in previous episodes. <laughs> but I just wanted to kind of quickly mention Facebook. So this is like an outdated news item. So a few weeks ago, we, we had allegedly Facebook was looking into audio social networking. We now know that it's a fact. They are doing it. But interestingly, they're using rooms. So now rooms were was the video uh, kind of chat function that was released during the early months of the lockdown so nearly a year ago Uh, i think it's logical that they should use that um, kind of feature rooms provides much better video connection and much better sound quality so why not build on that but i'm just perplexed about what would you want to strip out the video
0: bits if rooms is working fine as it is i agree and and you know Way back, we talked about Twitter rolling out that audio tweet feature, which they pulled or they postponed because actually they had no way of giving it subtitles for the hard of hearing, and that is still a major problem with Clubhouse. Is that it is not available to to everybody, and you know, I, I, yes, let's look at ways of giving of, of rolling these audio type platforms out across the market if that's what people want but let's also consider inclusion as well and and i know audio only app is you know it, it, it it's going to be it, you know excluding some people so i don't know what the solution is to that pascal but there must be one oh there is one and indeed we know that both google and you know the,
1: the bigger company alphabet and, and facebook have the ability to, to transcribe really well and and to great results so i think they need to look into that but i think you're absolutely right i do wonder i forgot to check before we sat down to record this but normally every year there is a big conference so you've got google io about two three day conference and facebook f8 now last year these these uh, conferences were cancelled i'm not sure whether they're going to try and do a virtual versions now that they've had more time to obviously plan those and that would be a perfect, perfect um, kind of platform, sorry, to announce what they're going to do about audio and accessibility on, on that stage.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 definitely something that needs, even, even if something like Clubhouse had a delay, you know, even though it's live, maybe it was 30 seconds delayed so that some sort of um, translation system is going on in the background, putting subtitles up for when it actually hits the, you know, actually hits the correct time I don't know but there, there, there needs to be something done I think
1: yeah let's keep looking at that so well thanks very much for reacting to those uh, bite-sized you know, bits of news but uh, let's slow things down and move on to the content spotlights mm-hmm. now in this segment Roger and I surprise each other with a discovery from the interweb an article a podcast
0: a video so Roger what have you got for us this week Pascal, this is probably the shortest article I've ever chosen from a content spotlight. And normally I would choose articles or videos or podcasts that are a little bit more detailed. But when I talk you through this, you'll understand why I've chosen it. The headline of the article is Seven Marketing Rules You Should Never Break. And it's by a gentleman called Dave Wakeman. And it appears on the B2C, which is Business to Community website now as you know pascal i have certain uh, hobby horses about marketing the fact that um, these days it's far too tactical and we never talk about strategy anymore and you know complexity and all of that sort of thing well this he- this article grabbed my attention with its headline as it was probably designed to do even though i'm not usually a fan of the seven things to-do sort of titles. But as soon as I started to read this, I started to agree with each of the seven things. And as it's the shortest article I've ever put up on the show, I thought I'd just go very, very quickly through these. um, And by the end of the article, we'll see whether you agree that it was just something that, was just absolutely imperative for me to talk through so yeah i mean he, he just basically starts off by saying man there is so much bad marketing advice rolling out uh, trying to keep up can give you a headache and i'm not going to try and fight all the marketing bs that gets i, I, I could have written this myself you know it's, it's just incredible so number one is he's saying don't discount you know if you can, don't discount, because when you discount, it eats into your profits. Now, in fairness, he does quote a statistic, which I'm a bit dubious about. Like, he says that for every 1% you discount, you're going to knock your profits by 40%. I'm not sure there's a direct correlation between discounting and, and, and profit in every single product in every single industry, but I guess the thought is there. So you've always got to charge a price for your goods and services, that covers your costs uh, and you can't and you shouldn't discount below that level uh, number two segment based on behavior and this is basically what he's saying is for goodness sake stop saying you're targeting millennials or you're targeting gen z or you're ta- you know for for older customs you chart targeting gen x or baby boomers because those are entire generations of people And if you say that you're targeting millennials, then you're displaying that you don't understand marketing and you don't understand segmentation and you don't understand targeting. Because there will be millennials who like heavy metal music. There'll be millennials (laughs) who like dubstep. There'll be millennials who like going on holiday to Miami. There'll be millennials who like going on holiday to Estonia. You've got to target your audience, segment it down, find the target you want to go after. And yes, they may be millennials, but what he's saying here is focus on things that collect them together in behaviours, likes and desires. Number three, there is no such thing as a commodity. What he's saying here is that even if you're selling matchsticks, even if you're selling bottles of milk, there is still a way, ways you can find to differentiate it from your competition to make it stand out, whether it's in your targeting, whether it's in your messaging, whether it's in your packaging. Never think it's so commoditized that you can't do anything with it. Number four, brand purpose costs money. Now, again, we've seen a lot of brands will hop onto social issues, won't they? Oh, we're supporting Black Lives Matter. We're supporting all of these global uh, um, warming initiatives. But the fact is, and unfortunately, some brands just do that to get the PR. If you're serious about having a brand purpose that aligns with one of these global issues, then you've got to put your money behind it. Number five, strategy before tactics. Again, what he's saying is do the research, work out who your customer is, do segmentation, do targeting, do positioning, work out what your product is. Do all of that first before you even start talking about social media content, advertising, whatever it is. Number six, oh, this is joyous. The four Ps are still alive. I'm going to actually just read this out. Every day, some knucklehead wants to talk about how the four Ps are dead. Again, turn and run from these numpties. The four Ps are still around, and they aren't some formula. They are a framework to help you make sure you are considering the right decisions for your marketing mix. Product, price, place, promotion, they are all still totally relevant. And if you disagree with that, then you misunderstand one of the fundamentals of marketing. And number seven, positioning. Make sure that you have a position, an offer, which stands out and is different or better than those of your competitors. And that will give you something to pin all of your marketing communications on. So Pascal, do you think I was right to choose that article? Oh, absolutely! I feel like I should applaud. <laughs> you know, the the, the, the author is so, so
1: refreshing to hear someone with uh, you know almost like the voice of reason in this kind of really white noisy and chaotic world has become. You know, marketing and, and particularly digital marketing, and and I think this is also interesting because I'm sensing a mood out there in the marketplace about people uh, like you know the author. Remember me the game name, so again. The name of the author, Dave Wakeman. Yeah, so Dave, Wakeman. so Dave and any others are becoming more and more vocal about their sheer frustration of the lack of logic, the lack of you know real wisdom out there, and people just moving from one tactic to the next, including hijacking you know social cozy, which I think is despicable, particularly when it's irrelevant or you're only doing it because you know someone came up with a Twitter campaign that's going to last a fortnight. I, I just think it's it's absolutely brilliant, and interestingly, yeah. interestingly. I think we're going to see more and more of articles of that type and podcasts and even videos.
0: Yeah, and uh, this is this is a, just a little uh, snippet. Into, I was recently asked to write a controversial article for um, a website that we both know. I won't give it away because it's not been released yet, but the article is about why we should ditch the digital word, mm. and I, I decided to get quite uh, ruthless in that. And it's a, of a similar vein, so I'm, I'm quite looking forward to... Uh, more of this sort of stuff.
1: Now, we've said it before to our viewers and listeners, we don't talk to each other, we don't consult in terms of what we're gonna choose for the um, content spotlight. And yet, once again, there's been a meeting of (laughs) minds because I have chosen a short form article and I've chosen an article again about reason, logic, and wisdom. So the title of this article which, which appeared on PR News is Should Your Brand Chase the Next New Thing on Social? The article is a kind of interview format. So the interviewer is Erica Bradbury. She's the editorial director of PL News and Social Shakeup. And she's interviewed Tiffany Rivers, the director of social media for Media Codes. And what is interesting is two things. A short form article which has high impact, I think it's a lesson in that. so I want people to know that it is possible to create something that makes you think, makes you talk about, as we're going to do in a a moment, but also something that has structure. So what Erica's done really well is creating the context of why she's writing this um, interview style article and, of course, who she's addressing. Now, Social Shakeup have an event called the Virtual Spring Tuneup so this is actually uh, interviewing one of the speakers at the event so a nice you know kind of before promotion of the event using content marketing well wouldn't you do that but also because she's using uh, interview style where there's a leading question then there's an answer from tiffany rivers it flows naturally you know you can jump from different questions it's just very well structured and looks elegant on a a blog post so i won't spoil obviously the short form article by reading out all the question answers but i I picked one question uh, roger which i think says it all in terms of this article but also once again the mood of the time about this idea of being sensible and more reasonable in terms of how how we spend our time so the question that erica asked of tiffany is as follows at what point would you advise a client to avoid jumping on the bandwagon of the latest shiny object and i don't just mean clubhouse clearly but you know that's going to (laughs) be one the the way which my mind goes now what is interesting is to me once again this is kind of conversation you and i've had for decades now, and it keeps coming back over and over again. And I think what I'm getting from Tiffany, what I'm getting from your selection, is that maybe those who are a little wiser, a bit more sensible, a bit more logical, we perhaps need to also be more visible with our views because our lovely clients, all those kind of small business owners out there, non-marketers, could easily be swayed by those who perhaps see the world very differently, hacks, tactics and the like so she's giving obviously a reply a three three fronts really the first one is uh, well my reaction would be capacity or what you call bandwidth you know frankly do you have the time to dedicate to yet another social media platform or app truthfully have you really taken full advantage of the current platforms you are running you know question number 1 question number 2 do you have enough content in your pipeline is your content marketing system and more importantly, backup systems as well, in place to sustain yet another shiny object. And frankly, are you quite honest with yourself? Is your audience on that platform, and even if they are, are they sufficiently active on the platform to justify the additional kind of um, pressure on your resources, time, budget, and people? And there's more of that you know, in this article, but I just thought, yes, we need to hear that more often more loudly at the time where you know people are easily swayed by the tactics and the hacks
0: this is this is just great i mean <laughs> once again yeah i agree with you. you you've picked something on of a similar vein and it it, it warms my heart pascal that f- maybe finally we're starting to see you know people cottoning on to what we've been saying for all these years you know and and Yes, we do, the next section of this podcast is all about marketing tech and apps. And of course, you and I do get excited about new tech and apps all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we should get excited about new technology. But you only use it if your customers need it or if it's where your customers are hanging out. And it's the same with Clubhouse. It'll be the same with the next one that comes along. If your customers are there, then it may be worth checking it out. Um I agree with you as well. You know, it it shouldn't be a priority if you're not using all the other things that the, your customers are hanging out on as well. But if there's if they're definitely not going to be there, then leave it for now. It's not a priority. It is just a shiny toy. So yeah, great that we're seeing more stuff like this.
1: No, I agree, and and I think it's we're going to see more more of that sensible um but also a bit braver a bit more bullish saying we need to shock people into realizing that they are just chasing this dream of somewhere out there 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 must be an app that can do all this for me and make me you know money without having to put the work in and yeah I would like to think that people like you and I and people before us, we spend decades proving that it doesn't exist, it's just the hard it's the connection with, with the audience, understanding their behavior,
0: and the genuine passion, which is almost like an obsession with customer service. Absolutely right, absolutely right. So Dave Wakeman and Erica, thank you so much for your support in these arguments. Super, well, you mentioned it a moment
1: ago, let's get into marketing tech and apps. And in this section of the show, Roger and I share our recommendations about apps and solutions that can make life easier as a content creator
0: and marketer. So, Roger, what have you got for us this week? Okay, Pascal. So, I mentioned earlier that I'd recently written an article, um, which is the first article I've written for a while. Uh, I've been concentrating mainly on podcasting and video, as you know. Uh, and I've got a couple of other ones that are coming up over the next few weeks as well. So, I started... I as you would expect, got Word for Windows, booted up, started typing. And and I I, I sort of have a love-hate relationship with Word for Windows. And as you know, when I was writing my book, a vast part of my book, the vast majority of my book, I actually dictated into my phone using the record feature on the Notes app on on my iPhone. Uh, Sometimes I've been known to fire up Word for Windows and then to actually turn my screen off so I'm actually typing, and I can't see what's on the screen, uh, so it's just blackness, and and basically what I'll do is I'll type, 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 and I don't care if I'm knowingly making mistakes, there's no punctuation or anything like that, simply because I don't want to be distracted, and I, and I do find that something like Word for Windows, with all its millions of options and, you know, the things that pop up, just gets in the way. Now, <laughs> I came across this alternative. It's not really an alternative to word for windows it's just an alternative way to write but it's called calmly writer and it's a website and if you fire it up the browser it literally makes your screen like a great big piece of paper there's no menu bar there's no buttons there's no drop downs there's no clicks there's no right click left click and all that all it is is effectively a blank sheet of paper. So not going to the extreme of turning off the screen so I can't see what I'm typing, but just the words and no editing buttons to distract you or anything like that. Now, I can't say I've given it a massive um, trial. I've, I've messed around with it for half an hour or so, just jotting a few ideas. And it is surprisingly calm. And maybe it is, you know, going back to what we were saying before, I get distracted by shiny toys. But I think that doing using something like this for a first draft actually is quite a nice idea. And actually what you can do is you you, you can uh, use your mouse button to activate a series of menus that do come up, but you have to physically make them appear as opposed to with Word for Windows. They're just there inviting you to click on them all the time. So if you do have trouble being distracted when typing. And, and one of the things I always do is I'm typing in Word for Windows, I'm sure you do it as well, is I'll type a sentence and then think, oh, no, don't like that. I'll go back and edit it. You should never do that. You should just write your draft and then edit once you've finished. And I think that blank screen, without all the temptation, is just so much more conducive to that first draft. Really clever. So check it out. Yeah, really clever. Yeah, check it out. Calmly write up. And on a related theme, one of the things within Word for Windows that I do use sometimes is the, the thesaurus function or the synonym function. You know, there, there are certain words that we always use. It's a beautiful day, you know, um, it was a, it was a <laughs> delicious meal. And sometimes, you know, you're typing, it's a beautiful day, and you think, oh, come on how else can I say it's a beautiful day? And yes, you can go into the synonyms function on Word, and it'll give you a list of alternatives, but it's it's just very functional. I came across completely by accident this other website. It's called RhymeZone, spelt R-H-Y-M-E-Zone, Z-O-N-E.com, and it effectively plugs itself as a website for finding rhymes, synonyms, adjectives, and more. Now, effectively, it's doing the same job as that quite sterile functionality in Word for Windows, but it's got a lovely interface, and it comes up with an astonishing array of alternatives that you wouldn't have thought of, Different, massively different synonyms. The adjectives function is quite, uh, um, quite interesting. I think it was Stephen King who said that the road to hell is paved with adjectives or was it adverbs but th- this website will steer you in the right direction and actually i actually started playing with it a few days ago preparing for this and and it's actually more of a rabbit hole than you would think you know i actually genuinely started with it's a beautiful day and literally had hundreds of different ways of expressing th- that sort of thing. I was actually quite surprised how addictive it was. So, uh, yeah, once again, I, I, t- I managed to turn something quite mundane into something quite interesting just by going looking for <laughs> a few interesting new apps. But, you know, that ultimately what we're trying to do here is also make the the
1: practice that is content creation and and marketing more enjoyable but also by Mm. connecting with our voice as authors and more Mm. than just Mm. again an app that can kind of help you get there quicker without necessarily growing your skills and actually enjoyment so i I found those two choices inspired well done roger thank you (laughs) so for me I, i went for two options today to do with music and creating again an experience when someone is listening to a podcast or indeed watching a video where the music is actually part of what you wanted to create as an experience an immersive experience and this was born out of two things one a conversation with clients i've had the pleasure as you know for the last few years to coach people on video marketing but also using visual storytelling as part of you know the the uh, the skill set that they they grow over time but also i watched the BBC series called The Planets, with um, Professor Brian, is it Brian Cox, is that? His it is, first name? Yeah. I was worried yeah. that I'm gonna mention him as the actor Brian Cox, but there's also <laughs> this um, wonderful uh, raconteur, and obviously very talented guy that is Professor Brian Cox. And I'm only halfway through, and not only is it visually stunning, not only his kind of um, uh, efforts in making something quite complex, easy to understand, and actually very, very enjoyable, but the music is, is outstanding. And that got me thinking really about my advice to people about, you know, how they choose the music for, for their vlogging, for their video case studies, for their podcast, for their you know, anything to do with where there's a series in there, where you need to make sure that the music you've chosen kind of hangs it together as a series. There's almost like a leitmotif where it comes back and people can detect that there was an effort in the selection of the music. So two options for you, if you want to really start to create a musical experience as well as a visual and oral one through the, the spoken word, you've got, of course, and we must remind people, that YouTube has its own, copyright free library of music and the um you know, hyperlink would be in the show notes below. But this is really quite a vast library of tracks, from very short to much longer, and you can filter and and search, you know, using different keywords and and fields. So that's you know, I think a very very starting point, which you can add to the many other options that you've mentioned yourself, Roger. But the other thing I was thinking is, is it maybe time for many of us to start to be seen to be working in partnership with a music composer, perhaps someone someone that you know already that could be part of your circles or someone that, of course, whose work you can find on the web. And this is where Kevin MacLeod came back to mind. Now, Kevin MacLeod, no relation to, obviously, a famous MacLeod that we spoke about (laughs) in the recent episode of uh, Two Geeks in Marketing Podcast, but Kevin MacLeod is an American music composer who's been creating now over 2,000 pieces of music, all royalty-free, and it's been used by indie filmmakers, documentary makers, game producers, and more for quite some some time now. And his talent as a music composer and creator is truly outstanding. And what is nice by, uh, for, forgive me, adopting a music composer like Kevin MacLeod, you're gonna have continuity in the style. So very much the way which, you know, forgive me, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg have used John Williams, very much in the way in which other you know, directors will have their go-to music composer. Why don't you follow the same kind of logic by either picking a composer from the YouTube music
0: library or adopting, you know, that you'd with someone like Kevin MacLeod. Do you know this is <laughs> such a coincidence, Pascal? Because yeah, the, the the YouTube Music Library is phenomenal, and you know, in the early days of Rog Vlog, I used to use that almost exclusively. Uh, I sort of use it from time to time now uh, because the only downside of the YouTube Library is that there are certain tracks which lots of people have used, and oh, that that that's in the YouTube li- Library, and and I do use Epidemic Sound these days, which I've talked about on the show before. But interestingly enough. There are Kevin MacLeod tracks in the YouTube right, library. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've used a few of his tracks because some of his music is sort of, um, I, 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 it is rock music, but it's sort of, uh, I do know, sort of 80s, 90s U2 style, style rock music. So I have used some Kevin MacLeod tracks in my early ROG vlogs, but I'm pretty sure they came from the YouTube library. So it'll be interesting to go along and actually see his actual library and see what's on there.
1: And, and in the case of, again, a music composer like Kevin MacLeod, you, know, you've ha- you have such a range of options. But think of it, he's been used by filmmakers, documentary makers, and game producers. There's got to be a reason for that. So Absolutely. have a look, you know, because I think for you to then produce an issue series where you will name the music composer, and that name keeps coming back over and over again, that can only but create credibility for your brand and for your work.
0: Absolutely right.
1: So, well, Roger, as I've said before, all this was only made possible thanks to pioneers and inventors from the distant and recent past. It is time to move on to This Week in History.
0: In 1896, the Olympic Games are reborn in Athens. 1,005 years after being banned, 280 participants from 13 nations competed in 43 events including tourists who were allowed to sign up on the day. Well, in 1906, the first ever animated film is released named Humorous
1: Phases of Funny Faces. This is a three-minute silent short created by British-American film
0: pioneer J. Stuart Blackton. In 1935, Scottish physicist Sir Robert Watson Wyatt is granted a patent for the radar radio detection and ranging system based on his earlier work on radio wave detection of thunderstorms. In 1953, the American magazine TV Guide is published by Triangle Publication,
1: with other 1.5 million copies sold in 10 cities. By the
0: 1960s, it became the most widely read magazine in the country. In 1960, the epic movie Ben-Hur wins 11 of the 12 Academy Awards. It was the most expensive movie ever made at the time, and the famous chariot race scene alone took three weeks to shoot and used over 15,000 extras. Wow, well, in
1: 1973, inventor Martin Cooper makes a call on the New York street using the first portable telephone. His invention was 10 inches in height, 3 inches deep, and an inch and a half wide, and weighed nearly 2 pounds. In
0: 1992, Microsoft Corporation releases Windows 3.1. Replacing the previous DOS command line interface and adding multimedia extensions, scalable fonts and the famous Control alt delete option.
1: And in 2010, the first generation iPad is released in the US. Steve Jobs had announced its development at a press conference in January 2010 and 300,000 iPads were sold in the first day.
0: My goodness, is it nearly 10 years since the first iPad? I resisted buying an iPad for the first year, not because I didn't think the thing was amazing. It's just that I decided that I wanted the second version rather than the first version because I just had it in my head that the first version just wouldn't be as good. And and (laughs) I I, I had an iPhone anyway and and an iPod uh, touch in those days, which was like a tiny iPad. So I did resist it. And then, of course, when the iPad 2 came out a year later, it took me ages to track one down because they were so popular. It was difficult to find a, a, a one to buy. It
1: is something that these brand has achieved, you know, the sense of event each time there's a new release, and but also element of scarcity. I mean, 300,000 iPads sold in one day—that's a that's a big amount. I mean, you know, today's kind of um, scales. But uh, I couldn't help but, you know, laugh at the reference to the Control-Alt-Delete option. <laughs> uh, I must say I've not used it for quite some time, um, but back in the days of the early computers, once you and I were faced with the uh, blue screen of Doom,
0: there was no other option that you kind of force-crashed the machine with the Control-Alt-Delete. Of course, you can still use Control-Alt-Delete just to call up. The uh you know one of the subscreens, mm-hmm. and I often use that just to get to the uh the control panel in, in Windows, but why was there never a Windows three point zero? They just launched <laughs> three point one so was there a three point zero that just was never? Put yeah, the maybe there was a domain. beta
1: version for, you know, just uh, for some of the, you know, kind of focus groups. But it's, it's kind of, you know, good to remind ourselves that in 1992, we got excited because we could, we have what's called, you know, on the news item, scalable fonts. So they used to say, you and I could choose between Arial 10 or Arial 20, which suggests that before 92, you couldn't.
0: Yes. I mean, I just can't imagine what that was like, but <laughs> like like a typewriter, I guess, mm. you couldn't change the size of your font on the typewriter so it 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 may make an appearance in the film marketing section of this podcast one day because ben-hur genuinely is one of those just epic all-time movies that just everybody even if they've not seen it they know about it and that chariot race was you know to say that it's so old in terms of how long ago it was that they made it if you watch it today it, you know, we, we talked about um, the Mad Max film recently and all the technology and the wagons that they used in that, but bet that that chariot racing Ben Hur was as good as some of the scenes in a modern movie like, like uh, Mad Max and, you know, hats off to them, doing it with the technology they had to hand. Absolutely, and
1: I mean this is a movie that is on TV, of course, every Christmas in the in the UK and most, most of the world, I'd imagine. And once again, this one where uh, you know, back in the days in the sixties and seventies, people took time with the story. I don't think you could get away with that kind of production nowadays. You know, things have to move much, move on much faster. Um, but you know, it's back to this idea of scale. And I think yeah. in a movie like this, you you literally went to see on the big screen because of the scale, and yeah. and you can cheat that. You know, that's why you have to have fifty thousand um, extras, which is kind of the mind boggles because you can add. You know, you can do what they do nowadays, which is to have a thousand and then just do copy and paste on the computer yeah. screen and add. You know, the, the fourteen thousand that are missing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, again, it's probably one of those films that. It's got, a load of, it's got a load of iconic scenes in it. I mean, there's another famous scene where they're, they're in ships and they're, they're ramming each other and there's somebody drumming uh, to get the, them to row faster. And that's really, quite, uh, that's really quite exciting as well. But I have to say, I think it's possibly one of those films which, if you were to strip those scenes out, the rest of it is probably a little bit dull. I don't know. I'm, maybe in the memory is cheating me a bit here, but I, I think I've always watched Ben Hur and thought, "Oh, let's get to the chariot race, shall we? <laughs> or shall we get to this the ship scene, or whatever it is that the uh, the bit at the end with um, the crucifixion of Christ, or whatever it was." But I do, I, I do seem to think it's one of those films which is very, very long, but worth it because of all the showpieces that they had in it.
1: Yeah, you're right. It almost feels like you have to go through the uh, the, the the acting bit of you know long <laughs> yes. you know, dialogues in between. But that's the case for most of those productions uh, of the time, including The King and I, which we you know we spoke about at the recent um, this week in history. So. I must confess, although I was very pleased that you know I could add the reference to the Olympic Games starting again in eighteen ninety six, thanks to the Frenchman Pierre de Coubertin, I had no idea they'd been banned for so long. Um, mm. I, I, I must have missed that bit. You know, I just thought it just became a thing where the International uh, Olympic Committee came to existence thanks to um, his work, but I had no idea that there'd be there'd been no games for so long, and the fact that um, frankly it was so open that you could just turn up in your flip
0: flops as a tourist and take part. Absolutely, yeah. So doing a hundred meter sprint and your flip flops—I'd <laughs> I, I, be interested to know why they were banned for so long. But maybe that's that—the answer to that will lie within Google somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. But
1: um, so. You know, again, some wonderful, wonderful uh, items of history, which remind us, you know, the reason we're here is because of events that have happened um, in, in, in the past and some of it, you know, a, a long time ago. So, you know, here we are, 1906, with the first ever animated film. And then fast forward to where we are today, where a moment ago I was talking about someone can grab their phone and make their own film and put some amazing music to it.
0: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Right. Well, listen, shall we go back
1: into the present and move on to our creator shoutouts? Let's do it. Now, in this segment, Roger and I celebrate the work of content creators out there creating immense value
0: for their community. So, Roger, who is in the spotlight today? Okay, Pascal, this is a little bit different this week, and there's a reason why I'm doing this creator shoutout. I guess... You would think that because this is the is Two gigs and a Marketing Podcast, that all of our content creator shout-outs should be people who are doing marketing-y type things or business-y type things. Um, but I wanted to give this guy, Scott Bickerton, a shout-out today. Now, he runs a club which is called the Pleasure Beach Experience. Now, for those of you who know me, I was born and raised in Blackpool. And in Blackpool, there's a very, very famous theme park called Blackpool Pleasure Beach, which is almost like an open air museum of roller coasters and roundabouts and rides going back to 1896. You know, it's a remarkable open air museum. And of course, they've got some extremely up to date modern attractions as well. Now, Scott runs this club effectively it's a it's a fan site, a fan club for Blackpool Pleasure Beach. But he also does a lot of vlogs. And I'm using Scott this week as a shout out to dispute one of the claims that a lot of marketing gurus, and I use my air quotes there for people who are not watching the video version of the podcast, that videos have to be short in order to get people's attention and to keep people's attention. Now, I've never subscribed to that point of view. You know, people say, oh, you're market- if you're doing a marketing video, it can only be 90 seconds or it's got to be between two minutes and three minutes. My view has always been if a video is good, then people will watch it all the way through. That's why people watched six series of Game of Thrones or eight series of Games of Thrones or Breaking Bad or, or, or whatever it is. If the content is good, people will watch it. Now, there's a whole subgenre in the UK and beyond and throughout the world. There's a subgenre of video on YouTube dedicated to people who like going to theme parks. And their videos are often an hour and a half long, Pascal. And these people have got hundreds of thousands of subscribers. In some cases, they've got millions of subscribers. And some of these videos have hundreds and thousands of views, you know, The sort of views that I would absolutely dream of having for my two or three marketing, two or three minute marketing videos. And it just proves that if you've got an audience and if you produce great content, then it will be successful. And that disproves the rule. Now, I probably wouldn't even have thought of bringing this up on Two Geeks, but over the weekend, I had my first COVID jab. I was expecting to feel. A little bit rough. Fortunately I wasn't. The weather was a bit ropey though. It wasn't very it wasn't very nice. There was a lot of wind. It was quite cold. And up pops this new video from Pleasure Beach Experience. And it was actually a video they'd shot last summer in Siam Park in Tenerife, which is a water park. Now I went to Siam Park the last time, I think in 2016. And it is remarkable. It is such good fun. It's the sort of place that everybody goes to. You just become a child for the day. The, the, the theming is incredible. You know, you, you would think you were in Old Siam, funnily linked there to the King and I, of course. Uh, and, and, and the rides, the water rides are just unbelievable. And, and the, this is a 20-minute video, basically with some POV shots of these rides, beautiful sunlight, beautiful scenery and over the weekend i watched this and it just made me feel this is oh i just want to get on a plane to tenerife and in fact i'll go today i'll go tomorrow if i could i will go to tenerife and go to Siam park that was the power of scott's video on that particular day so you know uh, again let's use that as a lesson content if it's good there are no rules doesn't have to be short doesn't have to be long doesn't have to be medium size it just has to be good smashing wonderful selection roger for me
1: again with similar motivations as you'll you'll hear in a moment is i want to give a shout out to vicky and mark smith now vicky and mark smith are the director of Fit therapy which is a wellness center and a physiotherapy center that is near um, actually me in durham a place called langley park and the idea of two people passionate about what they do launching a new podcast series is just so compelling now to begin with people will know of obviously vicky and mark because they have renovated an old baptist chapel and they've been documenting the renovation project and sharing pictures on social media and so on so they, they kind of build a bit of an audience in that way because of course people kind of couldn't wait to see the project progression but also when it was finished and so on but a few months ago I kind of encourage Vicky to um, go ahead and share more of uh, knowledge of physiotherapy and the benefits of obviously looking after yourself so she's launched with mark a um, podcast series called tailored talks and the latest episode is called what's the point of acupuncture and the reason why I, i chose this yeah i chose this um you know shout out vicky and and mark is because like i wanted to make a point that you don't have to work in marketing you don't have to know a great deal about content production to create engaging content and listening to Vicky and Mark as a couple talking about acupuncture and having fun with it, but also keeping it very simple. They even made um, uh, links to film, which you know would always you know hit the mark for me, and you know for 10 minutes you just listen to them there's a bit of music in the background that makes it very enjoyable and it's just so simple that frankly don't listen to roger and i don't listen to the marketing expert listen to vicky and mark because this is what it takes to launch a podcast to know your subject love your customers love what you do and just talk about your favorite subject and find a format that works for you and in this case for them I, i honestly it was so natural roger I wonder whether they knew they were being recorded. It was that natural and that great in terms of how it came across. So I I wanted to give give them a shout out, not only because well done for launching the podcast, but also you don't have to work in marketing to do content
0: marketing. Again, again, the parallels between what you and I have chosen to talk about today are uncanny because, you know, we've got a theme park guy creating great videos through an obvious passion for theme parks, and you've got a couple of people here creating incredible content through a passion that they have for physio and acupuncture and that sort of thing. And again, it is just, I think sometimes, I mean, we we do this podcast because we have a massive passion for marketing. It's the same thing, isn't it? But I think that it's such a good point to remind ourselves of that it doesn't matter what the subject is. If you've got that absolute passion for it and the desire to create content then inevitably it's going to get an audience
1: no absolutely thank you so much for the reminder roger now we have come to the point of the show where we need to grab a drink grab a popcorn dim the light it's film marketing So, Roger, let me take you back to 2012 when a group of film production companies got together and promised us the most chilling ghost story of our time. I'm talking, and you and I are going to review and talk about The Woman
0: in Black. Yeah, the most chilling ghost story of our time. Maybe of our time, probably not of all time. Uh, I think we've reviewed a few ghost stories here on the Two Geeks, which might be claim that accolade but it's a while since i watched this film pascal so i specifically watched it last night in preparation (laughs) for this episode and i think it is pretty damn chilling um it is definitely atmospheric it has definitely got a couple of mega jump scares in it both me and my wife (laughs) even it's probably the third time we've watched it jumped out of our seats again, at least twice, maybe three times, whilst re-watching it last night. And it, it does one of those things that I just absolutely love in these sort of ghost period pieces, in that you sometimes have to take your eye off the actor and the character and watch what's happening in the background of the scene, to see doors opening, or to see shadows flitting across mirrors, or to see... Uh, dolls turning their heads and if you go into it with that sort of mindset you know you these films do bear multiple watches because you can you can genuinely see all these things going on so yeah watched it again last night and we deliberately waited until it got a bit darker um, because the clocks changed on on um, sunday so it was a bit of a lighter evening and as it got dark I, i i actually sat there thinking, you know, this is actually pretty good. I think that it probably is one of the most chilling ghost stories of our time. I would agree. I've seen this movie several times now. I
1: mean, as soon as the the um, you know DVD Blu Ray was out, I bought it. So we went to watch it and uh, at the cinema with with Denise, and I jumped and was you know essentially uh, you know tense all the way through because it was so superbly crafted. And also, what was interesting for me, and I wanted to spend a moment to say, I was a bit nervous about Daniel Radcliffe. I was nervous about whether me as a film goer and and watcher could get past the harry potter yeah. thing but of course with, within moments i forgot all about harry potter because frankly daniel radcliffe is an accomplished actor and as we've seen since then he's done you know other movies but for me the reason i went to sit is of course because i was excited about the
0: potential return to form of hammer film productions yeah i mean i'll, I'll, I'll just before i talk about hammer I'll, I'll acknowledge Daniel Ratcliffe. it it was a great performance i mean there, there is a scene in the middle of the film and, and and just to give a quick background he he plays a character called Arthur Kipps he's he travels to a an isolated manor house to do some paperwork for a deceased family and it's a really it's one of those scary uh, <laughs> english remote country towns you know with villagers who are all suspicious and and scary pub landlords and scary um butchers and stuff like that, and there's one scene in it, Pascal, where he's exploring or, or trying to find his way around this manor house at night. He's on its own, and I wish I'd actually done a, I'd actually timed it, but I reckon it must have been about twenty five minutes long of him searching through this house with the jump scares with the, all those things going on in the background, and because it's just him there's no dialogue and it's genuinely scary genuinely suspenseful and part of that is because of he, all he has is his expressions you know there's no dialogue at all it's just his expressions and that is the sign of a good actor and and yeah you this was the return of hammer wasn't it the the 1960s very much revered horror series of films which brought us Dracula, the Mummy, Frankenstein. You know, made massive, massive stars out of Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and and people like that. And 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 I think they've managed to capture some of the gothicness and and the mood, the darkness of those 1960s Hammer productions, but obviously brought them up to date with modern techniques and modern filmmaking and modern uh, effects
1: and i think it was really quite clever now i've not read the book um i must confess i've seen the play which i will share in a moment but i thought you know just this thing of happening you know taking place in 1889 the traveling into you know horse drawn carriages you know all the symbols of the all the films you know i've enjoyed or suddenly enjoyed or got scared by um you know watching the horror movies so of course you know other companies such as Alliance Cross Creek and the UK Film Council got behind it so this is a British production it took place uh, using natural uh, venues in, in the UK but also sets and again the choice of the costumes or the d- the set designs, the music again and all those creating this atmosphere and of course for those of you who do not sitting we're not going to tell you what happens at the end but needless to say you know the curse of the woman in black you know, going to a place called Ilmarsh in a house. I mean, just a name. I'd say, no, it's okay. I'll take another job if I was Arthur Kipps, but... (laughs) um you know, what was interesting doing the research for, you know, film marketing, I did not know, but actually when the movie was submitted to the uh, British uh, Board of uh, Film um, Council, you know, the BBFC, and they have to be rated, they had to actually take some scenes out and reduce some of the music because it was deemed to be too scary or been given a, a greater rating.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah. So is the v- uncut version the version that's on the DVD and Blu-ray or, I don't or think so because been
1: released that's still a 12 or a 12A and the, uh-huh. there is a version that would have been a 15 and you know people thought no, if, you, if it's a 15 you know what's like with the financiers they worry that people are not going to go and see it so I think that the, there's other scenes that would deem to be just a little too scary uh, and indeed the, the many claims to fame of the film not only is it one of the biggest you know and highest grossing horror film for hammer film production uh, of sometime but also the most complained about films in 2012 because it was too scary that's a Gosh. good that's a good bit of PR isn't it Absolutely. we complain
0: because the movie is too scary to the bbf scene yeah no <laughs> i mean it, yeah genuinely genuinely was um jump scares and and as i say all those funny little things going on in the background faces in windows Shadows going across mirrors. I mean, sometimes they think, wow, that was very clever how they managed to do that. I'm sure I didn't see that the first time that I watched it. The uh, There is a scene, which
1: hopefully I'm not revealing too much, you know, when he's asleep at the kitchen table. Do you know uh-huh. that one?
0: yes yes, yes. Uh, at
1: the cinema you could hear people just wincing and almost trying to say to um you know daniel Ratcliffe the Arthur kids please wake, wake up because <laughs> there's something behind you that uh, in a way you, perhaps you don't want to see but uh, you can't stay asleep and it was just so well it was almost you know playing to all our fears you know going around this derelict ancient building with just a candle which could essentially be extinguished at no time by by a draft and just a land, you know, is the marshy land, but also, of course, the curse of the locals, you know, saying to Arthur Kipps, you know, you're going to cause trouble here, we don't want you around, we don't
0: want you snooping around, you know, this house and so on. And one of the things that really struck me when I was watching it is, you know, and this this motif appears in lots of um, scary movies and ghost, ghost stories in particular, and that is, old-fashioned toys and dolls oh yeah you it about that, those things honestly no i mean you've got you've got the old-fashioned dolls with the with the eyes that go up and down <laughs> there's always some sort of monkey bashing no. symbols together they need to stop that and, and you just think i wonder whether back in the old days when those were genuinely toys for kids whether the kids of the time were just scared crapless by these toys that they had or whether it's the fact that we now look back on toys like that and we've made them scary, but in fact in those days those toys were just absolutely joyous and cute and cuddly and the kids loved them. That's something that's always... a Interested me.
1: Likewise, I always think w- whether yeah, the, those kind of mechanical toys or automaton, yeah. I think they were called. There was something just weird for the people because they came alive for for a moment in time. But mm-hmm. yeah, 1889, that the the maybe the early days of electricity, the early days of obviously you know some of the um you know record players and and so on so maybe technology was kind of creeping into people's lives and it was just unsettling for them and and deemed to be just um, unpleasant but there's always yeah a monkey playing the symbols that in those horror movies and (laughs) it's just almost like as soon as you see one you go oh here we go it's going to start to play without you know being essentially you know touched by by anyone so you know interestingly there's, there are always critics. On there, Roger, we mentioned this actually before sitting down to record film marketing. But people say, "Oh, well, you know, it's by the book. It's, it's almost like someone walked around with a clipboard and a checklist, and please do that." Because that's what you know, ghost stories have. Well, I don't have a problem with this. If you're going to make, you know, the most chilling ghost story of all time, you are got to put everything in there to make it obviously something that not only we have talked about, 8, um, you know, t- nearly ten years later, but also won all the awards and and to this day is deemed to be the most successful ghost story of all times.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I wholeheartedly approve of it. So, oh, sorry, good Roger. Yeah, there was a TV series recently called The Haunting of Hill House, which has quite a lot of similar tropes and motifs in there. Uh, So I'm a big fan of this genre. Mm, Absolutely. Shall we talk about marketing?
1: Yeah, yeah. So number one, what I liked about it was, you know, the tagline, what makes things complicated? The tagline was a question which was addressed in the audience and almost suggesting you might after watching The Woman in Black, do you believe in ghost? question mark was a tagline, which I think is inspired. Yeah, I mean
0: you can you can have an entire conversation in the pub around that question, can't you? And most people would, would have a very animated conversation. So that's a that's a joyous tagline because it creates interactivity, doesn't it? Straight away. Absolutely love that. And they they must have had one of the first Facebook pages ever created for a film as well, I guess well about 2010
1: you know you and i have always been rather critical of the lack of you know um social media activities or sometime doing just the essentials but not actually being particularly inventive and what i will say is that on this occasion and you're going to help us remind ourselves of the many activities on social media but this is a movie and a team that has gone behind social media properly so yes they launched the page in july 2010 which is essentially during Mm pre-production and releasing a few you know snippets as you would and and kind of letting people know about what was happening but really it came you know it started to come alive leading up to the release of the movie in the spring of 2012 and from there i think we've got really quite a informative and and inspirational um, teaser campaign and social media campaign if you don't mind going through some of the items with us
0: yeah i mean there was the usual trailer a cinema trailer and teaser posters and stuff like that. But starting in February 2012, we had three featurettes on their. U- they had a YouTube channel, so they were talking to the cast and crew, uh, retelling a cast classic ghost story, behind the scenes, making of the film, that sort of thing. There was a there was a competition on Twitter. I mean, Twitter was only launched in 2006, wasn't it? So this was okay, six years into Twitter, but still not that many. Campaigns revolved around social media at the time, but the competition was for a chance to win limited edition Hammer film posters. There was other uh, interviews that you could interact with James Watkins, the writer, Jane Goldman, and Daniel Radcliffe, of course. And and you know they they started building all of this stuff. Daniel Radcliffe took over Glamour Glamour magazine's Twitter feed, for example, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, In March. There was more teasers. Did the woman in black make you scream? Download Hammer Film Scream app to record some more. Scream app. (laughs) Uh, You know, give us your thoughts on woman in black in one sentence. See how the original strapline, Do You Believe in Ghosts, was interactive. There's a real thread running through this about how interactive it was. Before the film, they were teasing you. After the film, they were saying, did it make you scream? What were your thoughts in one sentence? You know, in May, again, there was the ability to tweet questions to Daniel and get him to reply to you. Wow. Um, And can you tell us what happened in the next scene? Um, And, you know, this went on for months. You know, in June 2012, um, he's running a, ghost story competition on YouTube that Daniel's involved with as well. And this carried on all the way through to the end end of, the, end of June when they released the DVD and the Blu-ray. So, yeah, you know, there's been a few films recently which have been a little bit further in the past and therefore the marketing was probably limited to traditional posters and traditional film trailers, but this one was super interactive. I love the interactiveness of this. It really did suck you in. Uh, I think
1: that's why uh, I was so pleased you reminded us because this is where film marketing as a segment of, of the podcast worked for me because it's a source of inspiration thinking. So what have I done? pre-production to you know let the audience know that it's coming what am i doing what has been released and how am i keeping the conversation going for weeks and months now i, I accept that you know someone writing a blog post or doing a, a vlog video won't have the impact and, and reach of the woman in black but i think the principles and and the the idea of once you've done your content has been published that's when the marketing begins
0: yeah and you know the 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 lessons that we can all learn from this sort of thing, I mean, again, the question, do you believe in ghosts? Don't they say, you and I do presentations, we do speeches at conferences. One of the best ways to open a speech is to ask a question. You know, don't go on stage and say, hello everybody, my name's Roger and I'm going to talk to you today about marketing and I've got 25 years of marketing. You go in and hit them with a question. Now imagine you walk into an auditorium, stand on the stage and say, do you believe in ghosts? You know, you would get a reaction to that, wouldn't you? Mm. And that is the simple genius of this marketing campaign. It leads with that interactive question, and you just can't help but get sucked into answering it.
1: For me, what the Woman in Black represents is, is of course, it's it's a true experience to watch the film. Then, if you've read the book, you're going to get something uh, additional. Of course, if you've seen the play, as as I have, you, you get, and it's really one of those movies where. No matter your age, so long as, of course, you're within the the, the legal age of watching the films so over the age of twelve, according to the DVD cover, um, you you're going to enjoy this because if you're from the the generation you and I of have enjoyed Hammer films, then you you're thinking brilliant. I've been waiting. Well, I think the last Hammer movie was done in in the late seventies, so. That's a long time waiting for a new film production, because of course, you know we've seen all the others. If you don't know Hammer films at all because you're very young, you'll know Harry Potter. and so on. So there's, there's a hook for everybody, but then all together as a collective, we just essentially fear for the character of Arthur Kipps as he's discovering more and more
0: about the curse of the woman in black.: And the only problem I have with this movie. Pascal is the ending. Mm, which we can't uh, obviously reveal. Which but, we yeah. can't obviously <laughs> reveal. So all I can say is, and this is not in no way would I um discourage people from seeing it, but I don't disagree with the, the ending of the movie because it wasn't dramatic or it wasn't shocking. It is both those things. But I, I genuinely have a problem with the end of the movie, which we'll maybe discuss in a in a separate podcast at a later date. But genuinely it is a shocking ending to a very scary film and that's in keeping with the way the film was put together so that's fine it's just that for me i have a few issues with the ending
1: now well for views and listeners leave your comments in you know the usual places in terms of do you agree with Roger you know by the ending i, I think I, I i am agreeing in agreement with you uh, on, on that one uh, certainly but uh, because the rest of the movie pretty much 99% of it is so you know spot on it's uh, I, I forgive you know the the ending although uh, there's many many um, websites writing very lengthy articles by the ending uh, as as we well know Talking of ending, I think, yes. sadly, we need to, you know, bring episode 35 to a close. Can I thank you for being such a brilliant co-host, um, as always, and I can kind th- of thank your viewers and listeners for your support. Once again, please leave your messages, comments, and suggestions in usual places. Until the next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fentoni, and he was Roger Edwards. Bye for now.